and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Roz Taylor. It's more than 25 years since Britain handed over control of Hong Kong to China. Back then, the two agreed that for the next 50 years, Hong Kong would enjoy a high degree of autonomy from China. That promise was broken. China is not just shackling Hong Kong, it is remaking it, said The Economist last year. Pro-democracy activists have been jailed. There are restrictions on who can vote. China has shut down independent media outlets. It's reforming schools to ensure the curriculum is pro-Chinese. And because the Sino-British Joint Declaration was broken, in January last year, Britain started offering Hong Kongers born before 1997 the right to come and live in the UK. One of those who came was Simon Cheng, who's joining us today. He founded the organisation Hong Kongers in Britain. Simon, welcome to the bunker. Nice to meet you, Rhodes. Nice to meet you all. Simon, you were seven at the time of the handover. When did you first become aware that China was not going to keep its promise? That time, I think I was only seven. And however, when you see the people in 2008, that will be at the peak. That's the younger people that they feel really proud of Chinese because they see the Beijing Olympic. Then they see they also witness that China is going to be rich and to lift the property of many other developments in mainland China. Then they also feel very care about what happens in mainland China. For example, the massive earthquake in Sichuan and Hong Kong people that they donate the most to mainland Chinese people to help them. However, they see that the Beijing as authority cannot live up the promise to give the freedom or safeguard freedom of Hong Kong people. They feel frustrated and lose confidence. And that's why when we see now more and more younger generation, they don't think that they're part of China or if, even that they think they are not Chinese. You were working at the British Consulate as an official in 2019 when you were arrested in China on a business trip. Tell us what happened. Well, that time that I was on the business trip to Shenzhen for the British consulate in Hong Kong. That time is actually in the midst of the anti-extradition treaty protest in Hong Kong. And so I know that the timing is a bit sensitive. However, that is my job. I have to go there. And when I finished my duty and back to Hong Kong, I've been stuck and stopped in West Kowloon Thai Railway Station, which is actually physically in Hong Kong. However, I was still in the mainland China port. So that, that's why I was stopped and delivered back to Shenzhen. They gave me no reason. I felt a bit worried at the time, and my intuition told me that it's definitely about politics. And when I've been just delivered back, I have been handed over to a bunch of plainclothes officers. They asked me a series of political questions. I've been drafted into the custody uh, in one police station. And those people, they showed no badges, no uniform, and just keep asking me, what do I feel about Hong Kong? I think that is a very big and vague question. Because of this kind of the question, I feel it's definitely political and they're actually the National Security Police from mainland China and de facto secret police. Because that time they thought I might represent the UK government to instigate the protest and also because I was on site as a protesters because I'm one of the many ordinary people of Hong Kong to support the pro-democracy protest movement. So I'm not sure 
what happened, but might be that they took the photograph of me when I was on protest, and that's why they recognised me, and I've been detained. So they thought you were a spy. Yes, yes. That they keep asking me mainly three types of questions. The first one that's to what extent I engage in the protest, and to what extent that's the UK government behind protest, and also who and who I know who involved in the protest, etc. So I think that they try to ask me to fulfill the pre-written play that they ask for. If, for example, some protesters that I know that they have been arrested by Hong Kong police previously, then they would ask for for bail for me. And if I paid bail for them, and because my salary is actually paid by the UK government, so they could use it as an excuse to say. That is a financial linkage with the UK government, with the protesters, and those protesters have been arrested. So they could use it as an excuse to say the foreign meddling and color revolution, whatever that they would claim, to stigmatize those protesters that they have a foreign linkage and a traitor. So that's unfortunately I was being a scapegoat politically for that. And when I've been detained, I try best to rescue myself. And I'm not sure what happens in between. However, I think that might be the UK step in and you know to have a diplomatic talk. And because also my girlfriends and parents, they talk with the media and becomes a global headline that about my missing case. And that's why they feel pressure and they try to depoliticize the whole matter. And that's why they keep stigmatizing me to say that I solicit prostitutes. That's why. I have been detained for fifteen days, and that is one of the reasons that they now to do the smear campaigns against me,、uh, even until today. So, what happened to you while you were detained? When I was detained, because absolutely I understand that is not the usual case, just like others. When I have been detained and I asked a round of the questions, and I've been put into the jail, they forward me to another. Police station and some uniform police told me because they heard about the external source and say I went to the massage parlor and whether that I solicit prostitutes I did not. However, that they said if you're not cooperative, then I would hand you over back to those plainclothes officers, which means actually the national security officer. And they try to hint that if I confess that I solicit prostitutes, that I would be treated lighter. Because that is even not a criminal detention, so that's why I have no choice but confess. At least that I can fight for at least more than fifteen days for me, and to see and try best to avoid to be politically persecuted afterwards. And that time when they take me back to the cell, I think that is the happiest moment in the rest of my detention, because that I can meet with other inmates. It's about fifty inmates in the cell. And usually that would be very nice of me because they're not really serious criminals because they usually they offend some, for example, drugs addicts or driving licensed vehicles or something like that. So that's that's why I have a chance to talk with them and I try to ask them to convey the message outside to say talk to my friends to say it's not saving men in China and I'm here is because of politics. However, they all have been warned, and I have been also asked out for the interrogation almost every day. Then, when I've been asked out for the interrogation continuously, 
the other inmates already know that is not the simple case. When I've been asked out of interrogation, they would lie for me. I was halted and shackled and handcuffed. Then before I've been blind, before I've been hooded, I saw that as a private event outside of the prison waiting for me. Then when I've been blindfolded, then they drive me onto the car and ask me to wear my prisoner vest inside out because that is some information about me that they don't want to let others to see it and ask me to lay it on the rear bench of the car. Then they drive me to the unknown place. I felt that is a very quiet place. Then they drive me into the room and I heard some sounds that like moving some furniture or something. So I felt that is about the tool for torture. So I told them that you need not torture me. I can confess whatever you want. However, that's they still do it. They hand me over against a wooden board for countless hours. So that time, because my arms and still to be keep raising up, so that I would feel very painful and then I would feel shuffle. Then they not let me to put it down. And sometimes that they put me down and ask me to do squat for other countless hours. And then this time it's turned to my leg. Then I felt my ankles, my legs would be very painful and I cannot even stand or sit. Then every time that I felt shivers, then they would beat me and I was not allowed to speak at all. They wanted to tell me that uh, my account is not important, that they try to say every time you want to speak, you need to say, report to my master in Mandarin first. And... If I forgot to say it and I've been slammed the face and sometimes that they ask me to stand still, then I cannot move at all. And for other kind of hours, then if I just move a little bit, for example, that time might be at midnight, I want to sleep. However, that's they deprive my sleep. Then if I've been moved a little bit, then they will ask me to sing the national anthem of China and they also would beat me. So this is how things that it would I would feel very short because it it's it looked like very dramatic, but it actually happened in the real life to me. Very hard to believe actually. However, then when I heard lots of human rights abuse stories about mainland China, then it happened and come down to Hong Kong one day and even to me one day. So I, I actually that time when I've been tortured, some in some occasion I cry. And they would stop the torture for a while and then still try to treat me nicer. And they would start to talk with me to say, why would be so opposed to the Chinese government and why would you go on the street for the protest? And then they try to indoctrinate what they believe is right or the official ideology to me when they believe my mentality is broken down. So I think that is about the tactics, but I feel very horrific actually to me. And when did they let you go? Once they let me go, that is a very, very nervous period for 15 days for me. I tried my best not to be politically persecuted or further persecuted after 15 days. 15 days would be the maximum period that they could detain me for a while because that I have no choice but confess. However, suddenly when the date that they stopped torture and they asked me out and put me into the room and they prepared two types of decision paper. One is I've been let out for 15 days as proposed and other 
decision papers say I'm not cooperative, then I will be reshelter and to reeducate then for two more years. So that's they prepare two types of decision paper and ask me to film the confession videotapes. And I have no choice because that's the either ask me a series of questions, then they start the recording, and I have to follow the questions that they intend me to say. Because if every single questions that I intend to say, for example, they said, would you like to access lawyers or would you like to fight your parents or something? I say, yes. They would hand me out the decision paper for two more years imprisonment to me to sign. So that's the hint I need to speak the right answer. So in that way, I've been enforced to do the confession videotapes. And I think that is a very positive side to me at that time because I feel that they are under pressure. So that's why they need to do this carb videotapes. And when I've been let out and then I've traced back the timeline, and I would say it's almost exactly the same day when my missing case had been gone virals on the internet or global headlines of the media, then they pause the torture and that they try to ask me to do the confession videotapes. So I think that's even quite effective when my friends goes with the media at that time. After that, it obviously it became clear that you had to leave. When did you come to Britain? Well, I camped here since November 2019. I spent three months in Taiwan because when I was back in Hong Kong, apparently it's not safe. Before I've been let out, I already have been obviously wanted by the National Security Police. I can't speak out anything other than solicit prostitutes that they stigmatize me. And I can't take any types of media interview. If so, I'll be taken back to mainland China immediately that's they've been warned to me and they also claim that some of those officers working for the state council hong kong affairs office so they try to legalize or justify why so many staff would be in hong kong and watching me so that's why i felt that's unsafe even before the national security law has been imposed i understand that the national security police already secretly operated in hong kong so when I've been back to Hong Kong, I felt still that time certain amounts of freedom. I felt relief. However, that's just for a time being. And I realized that they tried to stigmatize me using the state media. And I have no choice. I have to speak out to fight back for my reputation. So that time I bought the air ticket. I finished the debriefing with the British consulate, told them what actually happened to me. And I, you know, flew to the Taiwan and still maintain the dialogue with the UK government in terms of my long-term safety. Then we'll talk about the visa terms in the UK, or et cetera, et cetera. Then I was in Taiwan for three months. And afterwards, when I you know, finished all the procedures, then I came to the UK and I seek asylum. And after, within six months, then I've been granted political asylum. Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not a 
an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts. What was it like when you arrived in the UK? Did you meet up with other Hong Kongers? Because I understand it's quite difficult for Hong Kongers who are arriving here. They often feel very worried that China might still be watching them. They often feel that they can't trust everyone. Was it like that for you? Yes, because I almost the earliest ones up to 2019 who can come to the UK. So as a pioneer, we understand that it will be way more other developments will come here. So that time in the late 2019, I worked with other activists to set up the information sharing platform of asylum policy amongst different democratic airlines. And afterwards, even in the UK, we set up the expat groups, Hong Kongers and Britons to provide basic support for those people to integrate, to set down in here. It is actually quite challenging because to me, as a refugee and also a BNO citizen, I understand that is quite difficult to us to start a new life in here, let alone those people, they commonly share the collective trauma. However, I think that is necessary for us to set up the self-help groups to let their voice could be consolidated and even for a longer future to seek alternative ways to propose the pro-democracy cause even further internationally. So I think that is quite important. And there have been demonstrations, haven't there, in Britain by Hong Kongers? Yeah, yeah, I think that that's quite vibrant society and they're usually very active for protest. And so that's to bring these traditions from Hong Kong to the UK. And also I think that they're even more eager to do it because they know that the families in Hong Kong cannot have this privilege to do it anymore. So that they have a sense of guilty when those people, they are now in jail, make sacrifice, and those people now living freely in the UK. So they would have much more sense of duty to keep the voice of it. And as the founders of expat groups in here, we also try best to let the new diaspora to be more integrate for example when they do the protest here we start to invent much more english slogans to let those people they're passing by would know what actually the cause that we are fighting for and there are about ninety thousand hong kongers now who have applied for the kind of visa you mentioned earlier bno british national overseas visa where are they tending to settle when they arrive in the uk are there now clusters of hong kongers so far, I believe that the last year, even if we count to the Q4 2021, I think that is much be exceeds 100,000 people and to come here. And usually it really depends on their education background and also their age groups. Usually those people, if they're with children, that they were focusing on more better school network so that they would choose those cities or areas such as Oxfordshire, Cambridge, Reading, etc. And if those people they're younger, that they aim for more job opportunities, then they would live in the mega cities such as London or Manchester. If those people they're gonna be retired, then they feel you know that they fed up with 
a very crowded living space. Then they would choose to live in much more secluded area. Then they would choose the more smaller town, and so that's why that they have much more space for them for living. So it would be quite comprehensive in some way. But generally speaking, then they would still usually would go to London, Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool. That is quite popular destination for them. Do you feel safe here now? Well, comparatively safe, at least safer than in Hong Kong, but that is not absolute safe because the national security law from Hong Kong, what they always claim that is globally effective, that is extraterritoriality, that would give a chilling effect not only just those people in Hong Kong, but almost all human being around the world, including us. We have been singled out regularly. That's where I've been on the headlines of the state media in Beijing and Hong Kong. Thence, where I've been target, not only being verbally target, but also I think that they put me on the warrant list. So that's threatened me any chance that I could be taken back to China for trial. So you can never go back to Hong Kong for fear of being arrested, basically. Yeah, provided that the regime cannot be changed. Provided that is still becoming like this with heavy-handed policy on the detestants, then I have no chance to go back to Hong Kong. Even the UK, I think sometimes I will be very nervous because I have the legitimate concern if they could send any agents or informants to keep tap with me to collect so-called information or evidence to say I. Endanger the national security of China or Hong Kong, and that is something that's always distrust amounts to Hong Kong society. I think that is also because of the regime that they try to solve this kind of the distrust amongst us. You must feel very sad to have left your country and feel that you can never, in the foreseeable future, come back. Do you miss Hong Kong? Do you still miss things about Hong Kong? Yes, yes, of course. That I miss my hometown. I miss my friends, my parents. My, of course, that is the usual living environment, the delicious food. Definitely, that I miss my hometown. But I think that is a necessary cause for me if I could speak out for myself and for the society freely. And that's why that's much more people from Hong Kong that's coming here to build the dark part. Hopefully, that is make more feel like another home in the journey that we're becoming integrated as British. So yeah, I think that I'm now start the journey that have no way back. However, because of this homesickness, and still we have been quite naively optimistic to the future that someday when the regime has changed, then we could be back with democracy and freedom, and that is one of the way we could keep this determination and flame for democracy. So put it in a way, optimistically. When this kind of the homesickness would be turned into the energy for us to be continuously speak out for those people that can't speak in Hong Kong. Britain isn't always great at making new migrants feel welcome. Economically, as well, things are getting harder for many people in Britain, and that is sometimes not good. For relationships with migrants, we hope it will be different this time. But if someone listening to this comes across a recent migrant from Hong Kong, say their kid has joined their kid's class at school or they're at work, should you bring up the situation with China, or is it better to keep things non-political? At 
least at the start of the friendship? Is it something that Hong Kongers prefer not to talk about, at least at first, because it's so dangerous? Usually, it depends. If those people they already have been ex- in exile, that's they're seeking asylum, that they will be way more vocal. However, that's they usually will cover their face. They will be masked. That's they also still worried to be identified and third persecuted. They worry about those friends or family members who are living in Hong Kong would be dropped into the trouble. And let alone those people, they might be at ends. They might be more moderate. That's they have been even not being obviously targeted by those secret police. When it comes to the UK, that they would prefer maybe to move on to settle down or something. However, as the expat groups, we do hope to encourage the people to be braver, to speak out for the injustice, what happens in, in, in hometown. So that is a usual general fear. That is a chilling effect even in the UK. However, we will also encourage them if we can group together, that's the responsibility or the duty or even the risk we could be commonly share, then we could overcome the fear and we could still keep protesting in the UK against the authoritarian government's policy over Hong Kong. Yeah, indeed, that is a challenge to us. Simon, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you like, you can help us keep going by backing us on the crowdfunder Patreon. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out how to get the show early and without ads, plus lots of extra benefits. I'm Ros Taylor. Thanks for listening. The Bunker Daily was presented by Ros Taylor. The producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis. And the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.